Matthew chapter 18, uh, I want to talk to you about agreeing in faith. Um, the, uh, there's a lot of teaching out there. The first teaching I ever heard on the subject uh, of the prayer of agreement was uh, from Brother Hagin, and he identifies it as one of the um, uh, either seven or eight different kinds of prayer. The reason I say seven or eight is it depends on how you count. Um, one prayer that Brother Hagin identifies and separates from the other can really be grouped together with, with another. So you could have either seven or eight, depending on how you count, uh, that, are, that are referred to in the New Testament that I'm talking about. But um, uh, I think there's uh, some um, misunderstanding in some ways about, uh, about agreement and uh, some things that I've learned over the years that uh, uh, through some experience in pastoring the church that I want to share with you tonight. Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples and really the context, we're going to pull some things out of context uh, starting with verse 18. The context that he's talking about is, is uh, putting an end to strife in the church. Uh, he's talking about people that, are, uh, that choose to live in sin uh, and uh, really aspects of church government, how to handle it and, and how we should uh, um, deal with um, sin in, among ourselves, among the church family. But start with me in verse 18. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, the, the context, the reason that I uh, started with verse 18 and told you about the, uh, the preceding verses is he's talking about the exercise of authority. He's talking about the exercise of authority specifically where church government is concerned. Now, I know a lot of people have different ideas about church government. To be honest with you, I don't uh, put much stock in, in much I've heard about it, what anybody says about it. My ideas about church government are a little different than, than uh, anything I've ever heard anybody preach or read anybody uh, read that anybody has written on the subject and and for that reason um, I, I don't even want to get into it there there it's uh, it's obvious that uh, that there is authority in the church it's obvious that God expects there to be a measure of authority in the church but I see churches with different kinds of church government and God's blessing them all so God doesn't it's uh, <clears throat> some people try to make um, major issues out of minor things it seems to me People come in and, and um, uh, have the idea. I know a lot of times a pastor that takes over another church is, is, uh, has a great temptation there to, to try to change around or fix church government or whatever. And uh, a lot of times they can, they can lose the spirit of God on the church by trying to fix something that, that God's not so interested in. He is interested in the authority being exercised in the name of Jesus. But the means and the method thereof are not that really that important. I found that the less that you talk about it and just operate in it, the better off things go. But clearly in verse 18, he is talking about the exercise of authority. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed on he in heaven. Notice verse 19, he says, again, I say unto you. Well, again has to reference to something else, or else it's not going to be again. It's going to be the first time he says it. The fact that he says again tells me that he's saying something the second time in a different way. So he says, again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for of them for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now this word ask is not the word to, um, uh, to pray. It's the word we've been looking at a lot in the, uh, the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapter of John where it means call for, require, demand. So he's not talking about prayer so much, although you can agree in prayer. I'm not saying that that's not a valid prayer. But he's talking about the things that you say. Now the word agree is interesting. Let me uh, read the definition to you. Um, the word agree from Strong's Concordance means to be in harmony. That means to be in accord with one another, to concur with one another. Here's the one I like. It says, or to stipulate by compact. To stipulate by compact. 
to stipulate by contact. Now that says a lot more to me than just saying, yeah, well, we can agree together. It says something that two people are in equal harmony or equal parts, have equal parts of an issue that they're both concerned about. If you, two, of, two or more of you agree as touching anything that they shall call for or require, anything that they shall say here on the earth, it shall be done for them. He goes on to say in verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, gathered together in his name, uh, <coughs> again, the, the use of uh, the phrase in my name or in the name of Jesus is not talking about an event. I can't find but one or two cases in the New Testament where it's talking about an event, one of those being Acts chapter 3 where Peter said, Such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, when he was speaking to the crippled man. In my name is really talking about relationship. You're in the name of Jesus just by virtue of the fact that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. You may not realize it, but you're sitting here in the name of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean when you came into the room, you said, Oh, in the name of Jesus, I come to church. Well, if you do that, we're going to keep an eye on you. That's just weird. But see, that's what so many people seem to have the idea about the use of the name of Jesus, that it's some special thing. It's some weird thing. It's some ritualistic thing. And it's not. You live in the name of Jesus. In him, you live and move and have your being. What does that mean? That means your life is in the name of Jesus. The eternal life that you have, the eternal life that you express, the eternal life that you walk in day after day after day, every moment of every day is in the name of Jesus. So where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. What is he talking about? See, since I live in the name of Jesus, since Jesus lives in me, wherever I go, I take him. So uh, Jesus is there with me if I'm by myself. But it seems that so many people have the idea that he's saying, if only two people or three people together in some special event, special circumstance, that's when Jesus shows up. Well, that's just nuts. That would mean that he's departed from you at other times, wouldn't he? Or wouldn't it? Yet the Bible says, Jesus said, I'll never leave you and forsake you. So where'd he go? If I've got to have somebody walking around with me to make sure Jesus is there, then I want to know where did he go when I'm by myself? Do you see the point? Well, then what is he talking about? What is he saying where two or three are gathered together in my name? He's talking about where two or three are gathered together to speak, to stipulate by compact for the purpose of joining together in faith in the prayer of agreement or agreeing in faith is simply that you can't agree together unless you're believing together. There is no agreement unless you're believing together. And that means you have to, your foundation for your faith, foundation for your belief has got to be based on the same scriptures. It means you're both believing together. Two people or three people are gathered together speaking in faith the same thing about the same situation. And that's where Jesus is saying there's something extra when you do that. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I. Now, don't get me wrong. You could speak the word of God and Jesus will do it for you just when you're by yourself. But he seems to be saying when two or three are gathered together, that adds extra power to get the thing done. Now, let me show you an example of this. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 5. <coughs> Luke chapter 5. We could look at this from Mark's gospel, but I like Luke's gospel a little better. It gives a little bit more uh, um, information or detail to it. I'll uh, draw your attention while you're looking uh, in your Bibles to get to Luke chapter 5. There's a verse of Scripture in verse 15. It says of the, concerning Jesus and his healing ministry. It says, But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Now Luke was a physician. 
The Bible tells us that Luke was a physician. And Luke gives us some insight and he uses some phrases. He's directed by the Holy Ghost to use phrases that other gospel writers don't use. One of those is here, to hear and be healed. He said people came to hear and be healed. Now we know the multitudes came to be healed. But he brings out the fact that the, that the hearing had something to do with the healing. To hear and be healed. Notice uh, over in verse 6. I don't even have to change the page in my Bible to see it. Maybe you will. But in verse 6 in uh, uh, chapter 6. Excuse me. Verse 17. It says. And he came down with them and stood in the plain. And the company of his disciples. And a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem. And from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. Which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Which came to hear him and to be healed. A lot of people want the healing but they don't want to hear that's a problem, however, because Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And it's impossible to receive your healing without faith. Usually the faith of the individual. There are occasions where people were healed on Jesus' faith, but those are very few and far between. Most people were healed on their own faith. Well, how do you get the faith to be healed? By hearing. Hearing the word of God. So these people tapped into something. And every place that it's used, and these are the only two places where this phrase is used, to hear and be healed in all of the four Gospels. In both cases, it talks about a multitude of people being healed. You get people willing to hear, you can get them healed. Now back to chapter 5, verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Uh, that's the phrase I want you to see. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Why was the power of the Lord present in this place? Mark chapter 2 gives us another account of the same story. It says Jesus was in his own house in the city of um, uh, Caesarea. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not Caesarea, Capernaum. Jesus was in his own house. And the, present, the power of the Lord was present to heal him. What brought the power of the Lord? Man, if we could figure that out. If we could figure out what brings the power of the Lord and makes it present to heal people, man, we'd have it made, wouldn't we? Well, what caused it to happen in Jesus' case? He was teaching. He was teaching. Folks, you need to understand something. The power of the Lord, the, the presence of God's power to heal is not about a feeling. It's not there when you get tingles or goosebumps or the hair stands up on the back of your neck or any other thing. When somebody runs through the aisles shouting, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. That's not evidence of the power of the Lord that's present to heal. The power of the Lord is present to heal any time the word is spoken. No feelings. No nothing. Some of the strongest anointings I've ever seen in operation were things that I didn't feel, things that you couldn't tell, had no evidence in the atmosphere or anything like that. Now, there are other times where I've felt something that seemed like the whole atmosphere was charged with electricity. As Brother Hagin used to describe it, the atmosphere was so thick with the, power, the presence of God, it was like you could chunk out a, 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 carve out a chunk with a knife, take it home with you. Well, there are times where the presence of the Lord is heavy like that. There are times where the presence of the Lord just settles in. The Bible talks about the glory of the Lord, and uh, one of the descriptions or characteristics of the glory of the Lord is weightiness. There's a time when the presence of the Lord settles in, and it just stops everybody. It stops everything. I've been in services where the thousands of people, nobody moved, nobody made a sound, nobody's doing anything because of the presence of the Lord is there. Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes God will impose that upon the crowd. But there are other times where I've seen the most miraculous healings that I've witnessed and there was no presence of the Lord that was tangible. There was no evidence in the atmosphere. It wasn't anything that anybody felt. It was just simply God confirming his word with signs following. 
which he always does. All he needs is somebody to take hold of it by faith. So as he was teaching, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Which tells me there were people that needed healing. Otherwise, God's wasting healing power, isn't he? I don't think God wastes anything, do you? It says the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Verse 18, And behold, men brought into bed a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before them. Mark 2 says that there was four guys that brought him in on a little cot or pallet or whatever it was he was laying on. Verse 19, And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, please notice that phrase, when he, Jesus, saw their faith, not his faith, not the crippled man's faith, Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. Now what I want you to see is, this is a picture of agreeing in prayer. This is a picture of agreeing in prayer. If one of these guys isn't as committed as the other three that are carrying him, if just one of these guys isn't committed, this whole operation stops. If the four guys that are carrying him are more committed than the guy that's on the cot, this whole thing stops. He's going to be screaming all the way down as they're letting him down. If one of the ones are not committed to this thing, if they're not operating in, in equal shares, pulling their own weight, so to speak, then from a spiritual standpoint, one side of this cot is going to be uneven, unlevel, compared to the others, and this guy's going to be dumped out on the floor. Now, I don't mean that literally. I mean, obviously, literally that could have happened. But I don't mean that literally. I mean that figuratively. Each one is pulling their own weight. They're pulling an equal share where this guy's healing is concerned. You've got five guys that are equally believing for healing for one. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. He doesn't speak to the four that are, drawing, that are lowering him down. He speaks to the one. Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, the answer is nobody. They missed the point that Jesus was the Son of God. They don't understand that. They're assuming that Jesus is just a man, that there's no special directive given to him from heaven. He's just a guy that's doing stuff that they can't figure out how. And so they say, well, that's blasphemy. Nobody can forgive sins but God. And he's clearly not operating for God if he's saying something like that. But Jesus perceived their thoughts. And he answering said unto them, what reason ye in your hearts? Whether is easier to say? We would change that in modern language to say, which is easier to say? Your sins be forgiven you or say rise up and walk? Now, folks, there is an answer to that question. It's a whole lot easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can tell. But if you say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, and don't have the goods, everybody's going to know that you're a fake, fake and a fraud. There is an answer to that. You ask any preacher on the face of the earth which you'd rather do, declare forgiveness of sins or speak healing. They'll all say forgiveness of sins because they're not on the hook on that. I think we ought to have the same attitude that Jesus did. Jesus understood some things about the power of God we don't seem to have tapped into yet. I'm talking to me as much as I am you. I would love to get to the place where I have just as much confidence in the power, the healing power of God as I have in the forgiveness of sins. I'm working on that. I'm confessing for that. I'm believing God for that and developing my faith in that regard. 
See, I don't care what somebody has done. It wouldn't matter to me if somebody came up and said, I'm a serial killer. Well, that's fine. Well, that's not the wrong way to say it. That's not fine. But I'd say God can still forgive you of your sins. Now, you still may have to pay the price for what you've done here on the earth. Forgiveness of sins doesn't mean that God wipes the slate clean as far as society is concerned. There may still be a price to pay. But God can forgive you. A person can still be born again, no matter what sins they've committed or how heinous or anything else. I have absolute confidence in that. But when it comes to healing, all kinds of questions are raised. Is this person in faith? Do they really believe? Is their faith going to be necessary? What degree of their faith is necessary to be healed? See, my, my mind gets all cluttered up with things. I almost wish I didn't know some things that I know. It'd be easier for me just to handle it in the same way as forgiveness of sins. That's where Jesus was. He saw their faith. That was all that it took. We try to judge faith. I, and I, again, I'm speaking of myself here. Is somebody in enough faith? Do they have enough knowledge of the word? Or is this something they've been building into their hearts? Is this a, a one-time thing? Is that, does that matter? There are a lot of things I don't know. A lot of things I don't know. And a lot of those things cause doubt when you lay hands on the sick. I know a lot of people are in the same boat as I am when I lay hands on them. I can have complete confidence that healing power will flow into them. But they're wondering, well, does he really have it? I didn't feel anything. Wasn't that impressed with his preaching, so is this really going to work? All kinds of questions are raised in people's minds. And the devil will help you along with those things. And those things will hinder you. Jesus doesn't seem to be hindered one way or the other. Oh, that we would have his understanding of the healing power of God, of God's willingness to demonstrate his power to mankind. Jesus said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, he didn't really wait for the answer, at least according to the scripture here. <clears throat> Verse 24, he said, but that you may know. Everybody say no. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he arose up before them and took up on that whereon he lay and departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. <clears throat> One of the things that gets me about this story is that Jesus proved forgiveness of sins was for you by healing. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Jesus was willing to heal in his day to prove that forgiveness of sins was available to mankind, to prove that he was the source of forgiveness of sins. Now, the source of forgiveness of sins is different. He's still the, the means whereby it occurs, but it was different when Jesus was in this situation that we're reading about in Luke chapter 5 and today. See, Jesus had not yet been to the cross in Luke chapter 5. Today, he has been to the cross. He has paid the price, eternal price, for sins. Forgiveness of sins, or literally the redemption, the remission of sins is the word I'm looking for. The doing away with sins. He just forgave this man's sins. This man still has to be saved if he's going to heaven, even after his sins are forgiven. Jesus is doing the work of God on a short-term basis to forgive this man's sins. And he proves that he can do it by healing. Well, where did God change his mind on that? Wouldn't it still be uh, legitimate for us to understand that God will heal today to prove that forgiveness of sins, literally redemption of sins, has been affected for mankind? And if not, why not? I think these are questions that we need to answer. 
these are questions I need an answer for. Because if I don't have an answer for these, then I'm never going to be able to do the works of Jesus like Jesus instructed me to do. And the same thing's true for you, whether you know it or not. These are things that we need to get settled. How do you get them settled? Well, the only thing I know is to study and to pray and fellowship with God. I see more and more and more of it as I go. But boy, I'd sure like for my eyes to be open once and for all and see it for the rest of my life. The point I want you to see is this. These men had an equal share of agreement in faith. And Jesus had no problem whatsoever showing a display of his miracle-working power, healing power, to prove that salvation, or what we would term salvation, forgiveness of sins in his case, was for mankind. Now I want to, I want to turn with me over to um, Mark chapter 11. I want to paint a word picture for you. The thing that I really had on my heart regarding this is, uh, is something I want to paint a picture for you. Now the, the illustration I want to use or the word picture that I want to paint for you is not exact. And so there, there are things that, we, that I can find in it that, that, are, that are holes, uh, so to speak. But, um, but generally, it represents how to receive by faith. Now, in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, notice what Jesus said. After telling us that faith works uh, through the words of our mouth and believing that our words will come to pass and not doubting in our heart, meaning not going by what we see or feel, then we'll have whatsoever we say. Now, notice verse 24. He said, therefore, because this is how faith works, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Everybody say things. What does things mean? It means things. He's not talking about people. This doesn't work on people. It works on things. What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them, those things, and you shall have them, meaning those things. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to realize. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's verse 3, that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. 2 Peter chapter 1 about verse 3 says that whereby God has given us, um, uh, I'm sorry, verse 2 says according as God has given us by his divine power all things, 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 all things that pertain to life and godliness. So all the things that you ever need have already been given to you. All the things that you need to affect healing belong to you already. All the things that you need to affect Material prosperity or provision are already yours. All the things that you need to affect healing, or, or I'm sorry, or to affect peace in your life, or any of the other blessings of God, whatever list we wanted to create out of that. All those things have been provided for you. All those things have been given to you. But where are those things? Well, the Bible says they're spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In other words, those things that we've been blessed with are in the spirit realm. I don't know about you, but I don't need them there. I need them here. I need them in the physical realm. Now, this is exactly what Mark eleven twenty four is talking about. Notice again, Mark eleven twenty four, with the knowledge that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, and those things are in heavenly places with Christ, where we're seated positionally with Christ at the right hand of God the Father. Again, notice verse twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, what things soever you desire, what of all the things that you've been given. By the resurrection power of Jesus, whatever things that you've been given that pertain to life and godliness, pertain to healing and health, pertain to material provision and prosperity, all those things that you've been given already that are in heavenly places, that are in the unseen spirit realm, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive those things 
and you shall have those things. Please notice he's talking about things in two different forms. He's talking about unseen things, the things that are given to us by the, the resurrection of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, those spiritual blessings that are ours in heavenly places, the, all those things that pertain to life and godliness, which are unseen things, things that are real but in the unseen realm. And then the second thing is, he said, we will have those things if we believe that we receive when we pray. We will have those things. In other words, those things will come from the, from the immaterial or the unseen realm into the physical realm. In other words, he's saying, here's how to make the unseen blessing of healing a physical reality. Now, that's what we need, isn't it? I don't need to be healed in heaven. There's two ways you can look at that. We won't need healing when we get there because there's no sickness there. It aggravates the stew out of me, and, and you can't always say anything about it, but it aggravates the stew out of me when people, uh, when somebody, some dear saint of God will die sick, and they say, well, they're healed now. And you know they're not. Because they didn't take their body. Sickness was in their body. And they didn't take their body to heaven with them. There's no healing in, in that regard in heaven. Healing is for here. Because healing is for the physical body. Well their, their soul is healed. No their soul wasn't sick. Sickness is against the physical body. It's an attack of the devil against the physical body. Now people. Religion makes all kinds of excuses for things like that. And people come up with their own goofy phrases. Many of them that mean nothing. But they sound real religious. They sound like, well, we're showing how much we love God and so forth. But healing is for the physical body. And if healing doesn't manifest in the physical realm, I do not like the word manifest. I mean, let me qualify this. I do not like the word manifest, but it's necessary to use in certain cases. Here's why I don't like it. Because some people say, well, I believe I've received my healing. I'm just waiting for the manifestation. That is the, the definition of being in hope and not faith. They're saying, I'm looking for something to happen that hasn't happened yet. Faith says it's mine, I've got it now. So I, I, I totally disagree, I totally dislike how people use the term manifestation or waiting for the manifestation. Yet it is real and it is proper and it is appropriate to use the term healing to manifest from the spirit or the unseen realm into the physical realm. Now how does that occur? How do you get things from the spirit realm into the physical realm? How do you get things from the unseen to the seen? Because that's where I need my healing. I need my healing in the seen realm, the physical realm. I need healing for my physical body. I don't need it at the right hand of the Father. Nobody's sick up there. That's where my blessings, the spiritual blessings and the things that pertain to life and godliness belong to us because that's where we're seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. But God never intended for them to stay there. It's not a storage facility. It's a distribution location. So how do we get it distributed? Distributed, excuse me. How is that healing distributed from the spirit realm, the unseen realm, into the physical realm? That's what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Clearly, he's talking about healing in two forms. If, if we talk about healing, it, we could use anything as part of the blessings of God. Let's talk about healing since this is a healing school. He's talking about healing in two forms. First, the unseen realm. And second, in a seen or physical form. How do you take one for the uh, how do you take it from one realm, the unseen realm, where healing has already been accomplished? Jesus is not going to go back to the cross for you. He's not going to take one more stripe on his back for you. He's not going to do one more thing. He's not going to bleed one more drop of blood for your healing. He's done all he's ever going to do for your healing and for mine. So the job is ours, therefore, to take the healing that has been accomplished and bring it into the physical realm. And we do that, not God.
We do that, not God. How do you do that? Very simple. It's this thing called faith. Here's the word picture I want to paint for you. Let's say <coughs> that you're standing on the edge of a cliff. And on the other side of that cliff, it's in the dark, and you can't see what's beyond there. You know that there's something out there because you've been told there is. The Word of God has told you that's where your spiritual blessings lie. But you can't see them. All you have in your hand is a rope. You make it into a lasso. And based on the Word of God, based on the, the Scripture that says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, and with his stripes you are healed. Based on that and other Scriptures that identify that healing was accomplished for you. It's part of the things, all the things that pertain to life and godliness. You take that lasso and throw it into the dark to grab hold of it. Now the way you throw the lasso is through your words. Faith is expressed by words. So you speak healing based on the Word of God, based on the Scripture that says healing belongs to you. You throw that rope, the faith, your faith lasso, for the purpose of capturing healing. Now here's the problem. There is no way that you can feel the physical, or the, the, there's no way you can feel the spirit realm. So here you are standing on the edge of the cliff, and you throw that lasso, and, and you don't feel anything on the end. It's just laying there limp. So you're wondering, did I get it? How are you going to know? How are you going to know if you hooked it? You've all seen the Western movies where the, the wranglers are out there, and they're riding their horses, and they're taking the lasso and trying to capture the other horses. As soon as they get the lasso around the horse's neck, they jump off that horse, and they start pulling on the rope and pulling it to them, right? Well, they can feel the resistance. You can't feel spiritual resistance. You can't feel whether there's, whether there's anything on the other end. You have to take it completely based on what God's Word says you can capture with your lasso. And that's what Jesus is talking about. When you pray, believe that you receive. In other words, when you pray, believe that you hook healing on the end of your rope. Now, what is your job? Your job is to pull it to you. Your job is to pull it to you. And here's what we do. We start pulling on that rope. How do you pull? Same way you threw the rope, and that's through your confession. You're pulling, you're pulling, you're pulling. I believe I received my healing. I believe I received my healing. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Healing is mine according to the word of God. God sent his word and healed me. There's any number of scriptures you can confess. And the devil's going to fight you every step of the way. Now, I want to draw your attention to Daniel chapter 10. I don't care if you turn there or not, but make a note of it. If you're, if you're keeping notes, let me remind you of what it says. It tells about Daniel's experience that he saw in Jeremiah's prophecy that it was time for Israel to be delivered from Babylonian captivity. So what he did is he set his face to fast and to seek the Lord to get an answer for when and how. He fasted for 21 days. The Bible said apparently it wasn't a total fast. He said he ate no pleasant bread. He ate enough to, keep his, to sustain his life, keep himself alive, but he didn't eat anything, eat anything that he wanted to. After 21 days, the angel shows up. And the angel says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you prayed, I was sent for your words. I've come with the answer. Heaven must be a long way away if it takes 21 days to get here. Get there from here. Now the angel explains. He said, I came from the first day that you spoke. From the first day that you spoke. From the first day that you spoke to God. In other words, Daniel threw his lasso out there and hooked divine revelation about the, the fate of Israel. He had, he had his, uh, his rope on the answer. But it took 21 days to get the answer to him. Why? He said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. 
But lo, Michael, one of the archangels, came and defeated him. And that's how I got here. And the, but the battle's not over. I've got to go back and finish the job. So what does that tell us? That tells us once you hook something with your lasso of faith, there is resistance. Not resistance you can feel. But resistance that's pulling back on the rope. See, on the other side of that unseen realm, out there in the dark where you can't see, the devil's trying to grab the rope between you and what you've lassoed, the healing that you lassoed. And he's trying to pull, and he's trying to make it a tug of war. Now, can you tell? Can you feel it? No. Because you can't feel the spirit realm. So here we're pulling the rope, and it seems like nothing's happening. We don't feel anything getting closer. We're wondering. All the time the devil's telling us you don't really have anything out there. Here you're doing what you thought you were supposed to do, but you didn't do it right, and so you're not, you're not hooked on anything. You just got an empty rope out there, and you can't tell by the way it feels. Now, back, let me interrupt myself here and, uh, and talk about the prayer of agreement or being agreeing, uh, agreeing in faith together. When somebody's in agreement in faith together with you or me or anybody else, it means they both are tugging on the rope. Now, that's not normally what happens. Normally what happens is that we'll come to one another and we'll say, agree with me about this. And we'll say, yeah, okay, I agree with you for such and such, whatever promise of God that, that they're trying to uh, hook themselves onto or whatever the case is. And that's the equivalent of me or you or anybody else stopping for just a moment and making one pull on the rope. Letting go and then going our way. Well, remember there's resistance on the other end of the rope. The other guy, the guy that, really, that it really matters to, the guy that's really in the fight, start to finish he can't turn loose of the rope but so many times you and i can we can say oh yeah we're in agreement but that doesn't mean we are in equal agreement that doesn't mean that we're both pulling equally on the rope he's stuck there we can let go we can tell ourselves oh yes in the name of jesus we agree together and that amounts to one maybe two tugs but what's he going to do when we turn loose and go about our business he's got to keep pulling now, here's something I found, and I, I didn't know it worked this way. I found this out by experience. I heard Brother Hagin say some things that I can see now what he was talking about, but it, it was way over my head at the time. <clears throat> but I know that there are different ways that people minister healing. I know that there are some public ministers or ministries of healing. Smith Wigglesworth is a great example. Smith Wigglesworth was used uh, in, in what seems to me to be special faith. Sometimes it was gifts of healing, maybe other times even working of miracles. But primarily, God used him in special faith. And as a result, Wigglesworth would get a lot of things in a public setting. Because it was just the ministry God gave him. People got out of wheelchairs, people got off deathbeds, and, and all kinds of things. But most of those things were done in public. It was part of the public ministry that God had for him. But I found that people operate sometimes in private healing ministries too. We've got somebody here in the church that, uh, that some years back, they, uh, they got found out the, about the Word, they found out about healing, and man, they took hold of it. And this lady, bless her heart, she took hold of it, and she started searching out people that were sick. And she'd get in there, and she'd stay with them. She would really agree with them in prayer. I mean, follow up with them every day, pull on the rope. She's tucking on the rope constantly, just like them. Not this hit and miss thing, oh, yes, we agree. No, she really did. She got in there and agreed. She got in there and stayed with people. She had stayed with them. She had encouraged them. Don't turn loose. We've got a hold of it. It's working. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not working. Trust God. Believe His Word. Hang in there. Sometimes she'd even pull the rope for them and let them take a break. Spiritually speaking. 
Well, you, and she got, she got some tremendous healings. She got some people healed that I couldn't get healed when I prayed for them. A lot of times people think the pastor is going to have the greatest healing ministry in a church. That's not always the case. And who cares? The important thing is that people get healed. The important thing is people get help, not who gets the credit for it. And so we saw some tremendous things. We saw some great healings take place in the church. Great healings. And a lot of it, some of it I didn't find out until after the fact. She was the biggest part of it. I found out she was involved in it. I thought, well, okay, well, that explains that. Because she'd take hold of it and she wouldn't turn loose. Would not turn loose. Well, you can guess what happened. She got attacked with sickness. She's fighting a battle of sickness right now. She's pulling on the rope. I'm pulling some. But I'm well aware that she's going to have to do this on her own. But let me tell you the end, end of the result, end, end of the story. Let me give you some news before it happens. She is believing God now. She's pulling on the rope. She will receive her healing. Her healing will come from the spirit realm into the physical realm, and she will come out of that with a healing ministry like she's ever had before. You watch. Her husband's in it with her. I'm in it some with her, and there are a few people that she shared with, to, to my understanding. But by and large, she's doing it on her own, and she's going to have to do it on her own. She has our encouragement. She has our, our help to the degree that we can give it to her. But this is just simply an attack of the devil. Folks, you need to realize, most people that have healing ministries get attacked with sickness at some point along the way. Wigglesworth struggled for three years with kidney stones. He'd have great miracles in his, in his uh, crusades or the meetings that he'd have in churches or convention halls or wherever it was, and then he'd be up all night trying to pass kidney stones. Terrible pain. Excruciating pain. Believe in God every step of the way. Now, some people might look at that and say, well, I don't understand. How does he get such healing miracles and results when he's struggling with his own situation, his own physical situation? Folks, the personal battles you fight have nothing to do with the ministry God's called you to. But if you count it all joy and do what the Bible says about it, you'll come out stronger on the other side. That's what will happen with this lady. You watch. Now, back to the rope. Our sister is pulling on that rope by herself. Sometimes, in certain situations, people have a ministry. And it's a God-given ministry. I'm convinced of that. They have a God-given ministry where they'll take hold. Now, that's not, that doesn't just work where healing is concerned. Sometimes it works where prayer is concerned. Brother Hagin used to talk about uh, Sister Sylvia, one of the churches that he pastored. Sister Sylvia, she was a little red-headed lady back in the day. Uh, I don't know even what day it would be, back in the 40s, I guess, something like that, 1940s, when he was pastoring in uh, a certain town in Texas. And he said that, uh, he said, don't you turn in a prayer request to her unless you want the answer. Well, see, she had something extra in prayer. She was able to grab hold of the faith rope in prayer, many times for other people, sometimes for the church, sometimes for other people. But she was able to take hold of that, and she had something extra in that regard. Now, does that mean we ought to find a Sister Sylvia or somebody like Sister Sylvia and let her do all of her praying for us? No, doesn't mean that at all. But it means she had a faith. She had developed her faith and developed a confidence to be able to get answers in certain situations that other people would turn loose before it got there. And that's really what it comes down to, folks. It comes down to a determination. I'm not going to turn loose until we get the answer. She'd stay after it. She'd pray. She'd hang in there and she'd stay after it. Brother Hagin said, you would not, you'd just be amazed to see some of the answers she got in prayer. Does this make any sense? 
There are different ministries than people have like that. Now, whether it's a God-given ministry, whether it's something that God ordained for somebody, that this is the way it's going to be for you no matter what, or whether they develop themselves to have certain faith uh, or a great measure of faith in certain areas, I, I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. If you ask somebody, they wouldn't consider it to be anything out of the ordinary. They'd uh, probably suggest to the, everybody else, well, you can do the same thing I'm doing. Yet they seem to have something extra. There seems to be an extra anointing, an extra emphasis, an extra strength there that not everybody seems to have, or at least doesn't take time to develop. So I don't claim to have all the answers on it. But back to the word picture. Here we are pulling on the rope. We're pulling, we're pulling, we're pulling. Doesn't feel like anything's on the end. The thought comes to us daily. Do we, do we even have anything on the end? How long does it take? If we do have something on the end of our rope, how long is it going to take to get here? Well, nobody can give you the answers to those things. But what Jesus said is, what things soever you desire, the healing that you desire, the healing that you throw your rope around by your confession, by your, an act of your will, if you believe, when you pray, if you believe you receive those things, believe you receive your healing in the unseen realm, then you shall have your healing. You will pull it to you. Now, here's the thing. There comes a point, and nobody can tell you where this point is. There comes a point where you pull that rope, and that last inch, assuming it's distance, that last inch breaks the barrier between the unseen and the seen. Now, at that point, once it breaks into the seen realm, you can see it. You can feel it. You can know from your five physical senses that you got it. Because now it has manifest. It's come from the unseen realm into the seen realm. Now you go from believing that you receive to knowing that it's yours. You've added virtue or experience to your faith. It's not in the unseen realm anymore. You don't have to wonder how long, how far. Do I really have it? The only, the only guide that you have all along the way is the Word of God says... What things soever you desire, whatsoever things you throw your rope around, you believe you receive them when you threw the rope, you'll have them. That's all we have to go on. It's a map to the unseen realm. It's a map to the darkness that we can't penetrate and see through. Paul said we see through a glass darkly. What does it mean? He means we don't see nearly as clearly as we'd like to see. Well, how come we can't see into the spirit realm? The only thing, the only device, the only means that you have to see into the spirit realm is this thing called faith. And it is not according to your five physical senses. You can't see it with the natural eye. You can't feel it with your hand. You can't smell it. You can't hear it. All you can do is have knowledge of it by the word of God. And it's up to you to use your faith to pull and pull and pull. How do you pull? The same way you throw the rope to begin with, through your confession. That's why Paul said in Hebrews chapter 10, hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. He is faithful that promised. Another scripture says in Hebrews, Paul writing to the Hebrews said, God is, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, what are we supposed to look at? The Bible says looking at the unseen things. What is it we're supposed to look at when we can't see with our natural eye? We look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Here's the way I see it. When I throw my faith through my confession, Jesus makes sure to take the other end, the loop on the end of the lasso, and make sure it's around whatever I said. And all the time the devil's trying to play tug of war and trying to keep me from making any progress, Jesus is walking right along with it, right along the edge of that lasso, taking step by step, walking every step of the way to ensure, because he's not only the author, the beginner, he's the finisher, he's the completer, one translation says, of my faith. He's walking along side by side, taking every step of the way, however fast or however slow I'm pulling, 
Some of those things we can c control, some of those things we can't. But as I maintain the profession of my faith, he's walking step by step by step to make sure that it finally breaks through the barrier from the unseen to the seen. That's why Jesus said, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Not maybe so. Not the odds are in your favor. Not hope so. You shall have them. Folks, it comes down to this. If I don't turn loose of the rope, the devil's not strong enough to keep me from having it. The only thing he can do is try to discourage me to turn loose of the rope. If I won't turn loose of that rope, it's impossible for him to keep it from being mine in reality. In physical reality. It's already a spiritual reality. I'm talking about in the physical realm. Can you see it? That's what agreeing in faith is to get, uh, together is like. Now, there's some things, I'm convinced there's some things that nobody can agree with me. I, I'm sure if I asked how many of you are in agreement with me for uh, healing, everybody's going to raise your hand. But really what I'm asking is, who's holding the rope? And the reality is, when you think about it, you might say a prayer. When you see the evidence of the situation, you might, you might make a confession, you might say something or whatever. But there's only one person holding the rope, and that's me. It may be that way with you too. That's a great thing if we can find somebody that can take hold of the rope in equal measure as us. That's a great thing, but it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. Most of those situations are for short terms. Most of those situations are for specific situations where two people have equal responsibility. That's pretty rare. Pretty rare. I know that I have more of this with my family than I do anybody else. I would like to say that my, my church family has the same place in my spiritual authority, the realm of my spiritual authority, as my natural family, but I found that that's not the case. Now, I have found that my spiritual family has a greater, uh, I have a greater measure of responsibility, spiritual responsibility, and therefore say so with the church family than I do people outside the church. But it seems to be this, this level. It's, it's, uh, you ever seen the uh, kid's bullseye? You know, archery set or something like that. Like it's bullseye and there's uh, concentric circles that are different colors and things like that. Different uh, spacings and colors and such. That seems to be how spiritual authority works. When it comes to me, I'm the bullseye. That's the red zone. When it comes to my natural family, my earthly family, that's the, the blue zone right outside the, the, the next circle out. When it comes to my church family, they're the next circle out. When it comes to people outside the church, they're on the outside where the points are pretty low. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I don't claim to know everything, and it may be that, that I haven't uh, come to the knowledge of some things as I need to to make it work in, in greater degree. But that's what it seems to be the case so far in my experience. So there's a lot of things that you're going to take Maybe where your healing is concerned, you're going to have to pull the rope on your own. Don't get discouraged about that. If you didn't have what it took to pull on the rope and get it from the unseen realm to the physical realm, then Jesus was unjust by telling you you could have what you say. Jesus was unjust by saying that if you believe that you receive when you pray, you shall have it. You've got everything that you need. No matter what the devil tries to tell you, no matter what he tries to discourage you in, you've got everything you need to get it from the unseen realm to the physical realm. But I can tell you one thing, one of the most important parts of this is letting patience have a perfect work.
I don't know about you, but I want immediate results to my faith. Don't you? Why do we want immediate results to our faith? Because we don't like the trouble and the pain that patience is developed through. Well, is God behind that? Is God making you wait so that you develop patience whether you want to or not? No. God's not the one causing the resistance. The resistance is there because we live in a fallen world. I've always been interested in the fact that uh, the Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air, meaning the atmosphere. There's uh, one of the Apollo missions years back. They ran into some trouble, and they didn't have an answer for what to do. And one of the guys was a Christian. They had, it was just shortly after takeoff, shortly after they left the orbit of the earth. And here they are, and it's a real critical situation. And, uh, and, and the, the people on the ground are in radio contact with them, and they said, look, uh, our readings show such and such a situation, such and such is the case, and, uh, and, and if that doesn't solve itself, if we don't fix that problem, then, uh, then you guys are, are in some serious trouble. So we're going to have to come up with a solution on this. Well, the guy that was a Christian, as soon as he heard that, he prayed and he said, Lord, show me what to do. And instantly, even before he finished his prayer to ask, instantly, he said he knew what to do. He said as long as they were outside the earth's atmosphere, he said it was like that. He was, said it was, it was amazing. It was like I was talking to God and he's sitting in the seat right next to me. He said as soon as we re-entered re the earth's atmosphere, he said, it was like I was back to normal, searching for the answers. Resistance was there. It was like when we were outside the atmosphere, it was a clear channel. I've always wondered about that. I've wondered if that's the way that it would be without the presence of the evil one. I know it's the way it'll be in heaven. I wonder what it would be to live on the earth without the presence of Satan, without the resistance of evil forces, principalities, and powers, and rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high and heavenly places. I wonder what that means. I think it means the atmosphere. Folks, the devil doesn't have authority outside the Earth's atmosphere. And so when these astronauts went up in the space shuttle, or, or well, it wasn't space shuttle, it was the Apollo mission that I'm talking about. When they went up, there was no resistance. Only one of the guys was a Christian, and he talked. it wasn't like he had anybody he could talk to about it because there's nobody else is experiencing the same thing as him. But he came back, and I've always been fascinated with his testimony. It fits scripturally. Can't make a doctrine out of it, but it sure does fit what the Bible says. It's the devil, not God, that's causing spiritual resistance. It's the devil, not God, that's causing delays. It's this broken world system, not the system that God created. It's this broken world system that creates the delays. But don't be discouraged long as you keep pulling on a rope by holding fast the profession of your faith you'll get it there it's coming it's on the way by faith it's already done but there is a time period there is a growing period for it to change from the unseen realm to the physical realm amen let's pray oh father we love you we thank you so much we thank you for the work of Jesus. We thank you that healing belongs to us. We thank you that healing is a very real thing in the spiritual realm. Healing is a very real thing in the unseen realm, and it belongs to us now. Thank you, Father, that by faith we can take hold of that. Faith is the only thing that can penetrate the unseen realm. And our faith can take hold of that healing that's been purchased and accomplished by the work of Jesus. Purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. 
take hold of it, to bring it into the physical realm. Therefore, Father, we believe we receive healing when we pray. I, along with many others in this room, are standing in faith for our healings. And we thank you, Father, that it's done. By faith, it's done. So we'll continue to hold fast the profession of our faith and keep pulling on the rope. No matter what resistance the enemy brings, no matter what discouragement the enemy tries to cause, we'll continue to pull on that rope, knowing full well that your promise, the promise that cannot be broken, is that we shall have healing. Oh, Father, it's so good to be healed. Thank you that it's ours now by faith. And it's on the way to being ours in material form, physical form. Oh, Father, we love you. We thank you for your great plan of redemption. We thank you that we are redeemed from the curse of the law. The law of sin and death has no hold over us. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from that law. The law of sin and death. Healing is flowing in our brains. The healing power of God. Every beat of our heart pumps God's healing power through our veins. To renew and restore every cell of our bodies. To permeate every fiber of our being. Sickness cannot remain upon the purchased possession of God. And Father, you did purchase our bodies and our spirits. We love you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being a willing sacrifice. Willing to pay the price for our sickness and our disease. Therefore, we declare once more that we are free from sickness in Jesus' name. Free from every trace of sickness in Jesus' name. We thank you that the healing power of God that resides within our spirits the spiritual blessing of healing that's already ours undoes every work of the enemy. Corrects what the enemy has wrought in our bodies. We thank you that that healing power brings healing to us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet in physical form. It's real and it's ours. And Father, we thank you that it will be a physical reality. We extend our faith to you, Lord. And we rely on your faithfulness to make it so. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 Don't turn loose of the rope. There's something on the other end, no matter what it feels like to you. No matter how long you've been tugging. Don't turn loose of that rope. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Don't put it down today and expect to pick it up tomorrow. Without wavering. Why? Because he is faithful that promised. Blessed be the name of Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We love you. Have a great week.